Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to Argyle Chat, the weekly Argyle podcast brought to you by Plymouth Live Sports Desk. Hello and welcome to our latest edition of Argyle Chat. Joining me to look back on Saturday's defeat to Sunderland and the recent goings on at Home Park is Chris Errington. Hi Chris. Yeah, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, um, first of all, a bit of an apology to our regular listeners. We haven't been around for the last couple of weeks. We've... uh, have people here, there, and everywhere, haven't we? So uh, indeed, I and didn't even manage to fit a bit of time in. Well, I was going to say, during the football season, you decided to take holiday. What sort of reporter are you? Well, it was school <laughs> half term, so um, yeah. fathers out there will probably appreciate it is quite nice to to have a bit of half term time. The only problem, from my perspective, Stu, and um, you are certainly not the only one to mention it, that the, the two <laughs> I know game, what you're going to say. The two games I missed <laughs> were the Gillingham home game and the Scunthorpe United away game. Yeah. Is there something in it? I got one both. They scored seven <laughs> goals, <laughs> and then I come back and uh, and they lost on Saturday to Sunderland. But it was Sunderland, I suppose, in my yeah. defence. So, um, but yes, if it if it carries on, we're going to have to investigate me staying away more often, aren't we? Very much so. <laughs> but um, as you say, you came back for the game against Sunderland, yeah. and. Um, Although Argyle didn't get a, a result that they perhaps would have wanted from the game, it sounded like another very good performance, and it does sound like those performances are starting to become more regular now. Let's hope so. Um, you know, it's still a, a small sample size, isn't it? Gillingham, um, Scunthorpe, and now Sunderland. Um, so you'd like to see a little bit more sustained proof that the, the, the performance levels are picking up. But I think the, the obvious sign for me on Saturday was at the end of the game. Now, we all know that this season particularly when the team have gone off at the Devonport and when the results haven't been good and the performances haven't been good. Some fans, not all of them, but a, 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 I would say a small minority, but you know, a, a vocal small minority have, have made their feelings pretty clear. The thing that struck me after the game on Saturday was that the, the players got a tremendous ovation off the pitch uh, from the fans as they left. And um, I think they deserved it. They put in a, um, a good performance. Uh, some of the stats out there, uh, the only stats that counts is the num- number of goals, and I will always stick by that. But an indication of the game was that Argyle did have 17 attempts on goal and Sunderland had eight. So, you know, you, you can make stats um, tell you whatever you really want if you try hard enough, can't you? And so that's why I always say goals is the most important thing. But um, I thought they played well, and um, they, they gave a good Sunderland team a, a good game. Yeah, it's, it's interesting what you say there. I think you're totally right because any football fan, it doesn't yes. matter who they support, you know, they can forgive a team winning, losing or drawing. Yeah. What they want to see is 100% effort from their team. And I think that's probably what the Argyle fans weren't seeing in recent games against Burton and Oxford. You know, we mm. know what they were chanting after the Oxford game, of course. Yes. Yep. But it does sound like there's a real effort and commitment there from the players right now. And it's good to see that the players haven't... Um you know, taking that criticism too much to heart. You know, no, no one likes criticism, and and some of the criticism they get was pretty fierce. Um, but it looks to me as though the players have, uh, have have not sort of sulked about it. They've not sort of got their heads down about it. They've come out and put in 
two good winning performances against Gillingham and Scunthorpe. And, you know, I think most people that were at the game on Saturday, there's 12,000 people there. It was a great atmosphere, you know, for a three-sided ground. You know, it was a good, it was a good atmosphere, you know. And um, I think pretty much everyone that went would, would say that, um, you know, Sunderland were a good side. Um, they took their chances. Uh, but Argyle played well. On, on another day, if one or two incidents had gone different way, um, you know, Argyle could easily have got a point out of that, maybe even won it. But I, I think on the balance of the play and the performance, you know, Argyle were good value for a point. They didn't get it, but after those two wins, it, it felt like another, you know, more encouragement. Yes, more encouragement. in the right direction by, by all accounts. And that's Chris who's left his phone number. <laughs> Um, oh dear! Um, oh, that was a, a schoolboy error. Wasn't it? <laughs> it wasn't I've turned it off now. <laughs> um, a friend of mine always says "if" is the biggest word <laughs> in football, and it's so true. Isn't it, it is. You, know, you, you spoke about um, key mm. moments there in a game, mm. and by all accounts, you know, Argyle one 0 down on Saturday. It sounded like they really sort of raised mm. their game, yeah. came into it more, and had some fantastic opportunities to equalise. And of course, if one of those goes in, it's a different game, isn't it? If, but if, they're if, creating chances, which is a, a huge positive. Yeah, I mean, earlier in the season, we were we were scratching our heads, thinking, well, where are they creating chances from, let alone scoring goals? And um, you know, at that one 0 stage, um, Aidan McGeady scored um, a good goal uh, to put Sunderland ahead in the fifty third minute. Argyle could have defended that better; they could have closed him down. Although Aidan McGeady's a, a quality player, Premier League international, he ran diagonally across the pitch. He had the ball. Uh, under good control even though he was a good speed he made a diagonal run and then he had the awareness and the ability then to fire the shot back across from where he'd come from and into the far corner which is not easy when you've got a 6 foot 6 keeper like Matt Macy in goal um, but then Argyle hit back really hard after Ladapo um, had a header cleared off the line and then I think the key moment was uh, the free kick that Graham Carey had um, it was it almost was another one of those um, Graham Carey wonder goals you know a superb strike looked in all the way and, and fair play to, to John McLaughlin, the Sunderland keeper. He made a fantastic save. I mean, nine times out of ten, that would have been a goal. No mm. doubts about it at all. And then a couple of minutes after that, Freddie Ladapo, who you could see is playing with more confidence after his recent goals. Swivel shot, got a good low shot away. Again, more often than not, that would have found the back of the net, but McLaughlin was down low, worked well. Pushed it away to his um, right and out for a corner. So that little period at 1-0... If Argyle had got a goal, uh, one of those a goal from any of those three chances I've just mentioned, one one, twenty five minutes to go, the Devonport end in full cry as Argyle are attacking that yeah. end. Um, they would have given Sunderland a real run for their money. As it was, it, it didn't work out that way. But um, chances and good attacking playing, you know, you're, you're right, Stu. Fans want to see effort and commitment, but they also want to see their team have a go. Yeah. And Argyle had a go at one nil down. They didn't just sort of fall away and peter out to a two or three nil defeat. You know, and I'm thinking of the games against you know Peterborough and uh, and Doncaster earlier in the season, where you know the the fight sort of ebbed out of them. The fight yeah. was in Argyle, um, you know, uh, on Saturday. So, you know, that was uh, a positive from a defeat. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Freddie Ladapo there. Uh, mm. I think it's five goals, isn't it, in in October? So he's mm. probably in with a good shout for October's or Sky Bet's well, of the month. You'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, I mean he's had a good he's had a good month, and yeah, I thought he he, he played well again. You know he's up against two um, two good quality uh, central defenders, but he, he caused them problems. And I, I like the way that they're they're getting Anthony Sarsavic playing a little bit further forward now, um, and it's almost become a four two three one 
with Sarsavic, the, the the central one of the three behind Adapo. You know, Sarsavic's got a good engine, can cover lots of ground. He's got an eye for goal. He does need mm. to score more goals. Derek Adams um, mentioned that in his post-match press conference was that he, he needs Sarsavic to chip in with more goals. Um, but uh, you know, he links. He's getting closer to Freddie Ladapo, which means that Ladapo isn't getting as isolated as he was in the four-three-three. Sometimes where Sarsavic, Ness, and Fox were just sometimes a bit too deep, and then you really only had Ladapo with the two wide players, and that was about it. But with Sarsavic in that position there, um, still needs a little bit of tweaking and refining, but it, it, it's. it's it's working better, I would say. Yeah, as you say, it didn't quite happen for Argyle, and of course, after those chances, there was the uh, yeah the penalty decision. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, you've written down here, Chris, it was a harsh penalty mm. decision. I haven't seen that again. We just mm. went through the highlights. Mm. Do you still feel it was, it was harsh? Uh, we, we just did our little running order, didn't we? So <laughs> I, I, I scribbled a few notes down, and Should when I scribbled that word out. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw the incident um, firsthand. And, and bearing in mind that we sit at the back of the barn park end, so we yeah. weren't a million miles away from the incident. I can't say that I didn't have a good view of the incident. I thought the ball had gone over to Fari Moore's head, and um, his, perhaps his body position wasn't great, but I thought I didn't think it was a penalty at the time. Um, and I ha- must admit, I haven't seen any replays until after I did our running <laughs> all this morning, and having seen the replay, I still think he was a bit unfortunate. I'm still not convinced he was trying to foul anybody or do do anything... Um, untoward, but he did have his leg raised out and he did make contact with uh, the Sunderland player. So, yes, I, I'm, I, it, it wasn't a harsh penalty. I think it was a little bit unfortunate for him. Um, the ball sort of looped over his head and yeah. he perhaps wasn't aware the Sunderland player was quite as close to him uh, when he made the tackle. But, you know, that was obviously an important moment. Argyle did have penalty shouts themselves. Um, Dave Roundtree got a good picture of one where Freddie Ladapo had a shot which um, was it Jack Baldwin blocked with an or hit his arm but when you see Dave's picture uh, his arm's by his side so although it might have hit his arm I'm not sure you can really say it was a deliberate handball or anything like that it was a good shout when Jan Songo had a header which would have been a better opportunity um, but you know penalty decisions you know sometimes they go for you sometimes they don't yeah. sometimes you get a little bit lucky sometimes you don't um it didn't quite. Argyle didn't quite have the rub of the green on Saturday. There was, you know, with the saves the keeper made and this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, when you're playing against a good team like Sunderland, they are going to make the most of opportunities they get. And uh, Aidan McGeady certainly certainly did that with his goal, and then a cool finish for the penalty. Yeah, and it gives you a greater appreciation, I suppose, of the decision. You know that. The split second the referees see these decisions we're, and have to make that. And I think we're we're all guilty of that at times, yeah, aren't we? We, we all sit in the stands and say the referee's got that wrong and oh, has he got that one wrong? Um, he gets the one look. He, uh, Carl Boyson was in a very good position to decide on the penalty that he gave against Argyle. He was very close by and he gave it straight away. So, mm. you know, it is some you win, some you lose. It's annoying when, when things don't go your way, especially if you think they have or if you feel, well, we're owed a decision because we didn't get yeah. one at the other end and, and what have you. But um, And when you're down at the bottom of the table, as Argyle are, yeah. these things do tend to go Yeah, it, it just felt that 1-0 down. If Argyle could have just got a goal, got a break, you know, whatever, they, they could have done, they could have... And it's easy to say this, of course, you know, it's easy to say if Argyle had scored, they would have gone on a one and there's no actual proof that that would have been the case. No. But I think they would have given Sunderland even more of a, a push than they did. Yeah. 
Why does it take Argyle so long to get their season going, though? I mean, mm. you know, it's remarkable that 14, you know, mm. the first 14 games of the season and the, the records are mm. identical this year to what mm. they were last year. And then, of course, Argyle go, you know, have this... It, it's almost like someone switches the on button. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And they just suddenly start playing with more energy and belief and confidence. Uh, uh, it's hard to put your finger on it. It really. is. I mean, I, I spoke to two people about that on Saturday. One before the game was Brian McGinchy, the former Argyle um, left-back. Um, he was doing some commentary for Radio Devon. He's done a few games for them recently. And um, I spoke to him before the game and we were talking about that. And um, and he said it's because there's so many new signings. He's quite convinced that it's, it takes time for signings to bed in. And he used the example of when he first signed for Argyle under Paul Sturrock. And he arrived at the sort of same time as David Frio, Roman Larrio, David Worrell, people like that. And the second half of the... 2000-2001 season Paul Sturrock basically got the bulk of his squad in Frio, Lario, McGlinchey, Worrell people like that and spent the second half of the season almost almost not being too bothered about the results but getting the team structure Shelling. and gelling and what have you so that when they started the following season they were ready to go and no coincidence that Argyle ended up getting 102 points that season mm. and so Brian was making the point that we had he that group had the second half of the previous season to prepare for the start of the following season, and then yeah. they made this flying start and they went on and got 102 points. So he he was very much of the opinion about the new signings, and and we saw Graham Carey after the game as well, and and he said he said exactly the same thing. He says it was always going to take time for the new signings to gel. He thinks that they, they the, the team is now gelling together. He thinks they're playing with more confidence. He thinks they're pressing further up the pitch. Um, so he's um, he's very encouraged um, by what's happened in the last three games, while knowing that there's still work to be done. So that's my way of saying. I think you know that the signings seems to be an yeah. issue. From you know Brian McGlinchey, you know knows from first-hand experience, and Graham Carey's been at Argyle long enough to know that there is a bit of a summer t- turnover every year, isn't it? So. Yeah. Um, I think that's the. I think that's got to be the answer. Plus the fact, you know, confidence is always a key thing. If if you start the season and you get a couple of good results early on, I think even with a load of new signings, you would yeah you would go well. But I'll get the new signings. Don't tend to win the first two or three games, and then it's sort of you get into this sort of spiral, don't you? Where Absolutely, less yeah. and less confidence and and what have you. But is that something Derek Adams has perhaps got to look at then? Because if he's making uh, so many new signings, where yeah. it's taken them fifteen games to get yeah. going or fourteen games to get going, then it, they're almost putting themselves out of any chance of, of promotion or making the playoffs. Really, a, a, a very fair point. Yeah, and it's it's certainly something that he, he might have to look at because you know once. You know, you know, maybe just circumstances against you, but when it's two or three t- times, it's got to be more than just coincidence, mm. hasn't it? Yeah. Some of it is out of his control because you know Argyle um, certainly in the past um, are not in a position to compete with other teams to keep their best players if they're free agents. You know, we've seen that in the yeah. past, with the exception of Graham Carey. I suppose he's the one player that stayed when we perhaps thought he would leave as a free agent, but you know, you look at the Sonny Bradleys and, um, and Oscar Ferrelkaus and, and other people in the past as well. Um, so if you're not in a position to offer a contract to somebody or the length of the contract, um, you know, as might have been the case with Sonny Bradley, you know, if they'd offered him a longer contract, would he have stayed? Um, so yeah, they're gonna need to have a look at um, how they assemble their squads going forward so that perhaps they don't have to have as many signings in the summer. Yeah. Because I hoped that by making all the signings 
before the start of pre-season they would have a good solid five weeks pre-season yeah. to bed in but I think the evidence is is that even five weeks of pre-season isn't enough for a team to gel um, partly because you know the opposition you're playing in pre-season we, we discussed this before yeah. isn't always the greatest is it or uh, or what have you it, you know it, it feels like Argyle have turned a little bit of a corner um, you don't want to you know jump to the conclusion that oh it'll all be right now because they've got some you know difficult challenging games coming up in the league you know uh, uh, Luton away, Fleetwood at home, you know, so there's, you know, not not easy games coming up, but uh, the, the thing I did take from Sunderland, they looked more confident, they looked a better attacking threat, um, and they defended pretty well, to be fair, against Sunderland, so, you know, you're hopeful, but not assuming that, uh, uh, you know, that things are going to start improving. Yeah. It's, it's certainly an interesting topic, because um, I was chatting to Jack, our colleague Jack Ball, about, you know, that same, I asked him the same question. Mm. Why do you think it takes mm. our goal so long to get their season going? Mm. He basically just thinks it's the benefit of having Ness, Sartswich, and, and Fox back in the midfield with those three playing. He, he thinks they make such a big difference to our goals play. Yeah, and it's really one thing in football, isn't it? It's yeah. normally yeah. A, a number of things. And yeah, I'm, I'm not going to. I think the signings is a big issue, and I, I, I raise it because I had a conversation with Brian and Graham Carey, and yeah. both were of the opinion. I, I do think that Ness, Sarsavik and Fox last season were a key part of, of Argyle's second half uh, uh, success. Um, that they're all midfielders, but have a different style about them. You know, David Fox is is you know more the passing type player, trying to get him on the ball. Jamie Ness gives you good energy, gets around the pitch. And like I, I said earlier in the podcast, I think Sarsavik's been used in, in in a good position where you can influence the game more than perhaps earlier in the season he was almost like part of a three and wasn't really getting into to, to forward positions he can score goals I think uh, I looked today he's got six goals in 65 games for Argyle and while he's done well for Argyle I think even Anthony would accept that he's capable of improving that goal scoring rate that's one goal every ten games isn't yeah. it I think he's more than capable of getting one goal every five games I think he, he can be getting eight ten goals in a season particularly in this sort of position he's in now. So that's some, an area that Argyle could, yeah. could... If he could start getting goals one, one every... You know, like at that sort of rate, make yeah, a big difference. Absolutely. Is he someone that has the opportunities to score those sort of goals? Well, I think he's, this position he's in now, he's, he is and is going to get more. You know, he scored against Scunthorpe um, right at the end of the game. But, yeah. you know, um, he had a, a good opportunity at 1-0 for Argyle where he got into a shooting position and he, uh, a shot wide he's getting around the box more than he was earlier in the season I would suggest um, and he can score goals you know he, he has in the past uh, before he came into Argyle you know and I, I, he, he, is, he could be a key player for Argyle this season he really could if he stays fit because he's got a tremendous engine, engine he gets you know covers an awful lot of ground and if he can just get in and around the box play off Ladapo a little bit you know find a bit of space I, I, I could see him scoring goals. Welcome back to part two of the podcast. Um, we're going to move away from the league now, Chris, and chat about the Checker Trade Trophy. Oh, do, we to, you do, we, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it sounds as though you and Jamie Ness are very much in agreement in that it, it just feels like a reserve team competition. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he came out with some really good points, actually. He wants the competition to revert to a straight knockout. Uh, he said it's bottom of our goals list of priorities, but top of Chelsea under-21s. Which is a good point because it probably probably is. Um, it was interesting to chat to, to Jamie last Thursday. It was um, 
and you know I was interested to get his opinion on the Checker Trade Trophy he's played in both of our goals games this season a 3-0 home defeat by Swindon and a 5-0 home defeat by Chelsea under 21 so you know he's an experienced pro and uh, I think we can all look at it sometimes and say well if it's a first team game they're professionals they should be professional in their approach and they should do this that and the other um, I thought Jamie made some very fair and valid points. Yes, I'm not a fan of the Checker Trade Trophy, particularly in this format that it's in. But um, would making it knockout win you over? Um, I'd be happier with it because fewer games. Yeah, it's fewer games. I, I've never understood the rationale where they decided to change the format because the gates weren't high enough, and then the change of format was well, we'll play more games. Mm. And surprise, surprise, the gates are. Are not good, and it was telling. I thought that Argyle played Chelsea the last two seasons, and last season the gate was three nine. I think it was. Now, admittedly, it was in August, and I think it was in the school holidays. Oh, yeah. But last week it was fifteen hundred. Really. Um, and I played Swindon and Chelsea at home, and the combined average attend—not the combined average—the combined attendance has been three thousand three hundred. Now. That's not working. No. That, that competition no, is not working. Um, but Jamie made you know, the point, very valid points. Feels like a reserve game. He admitted that you know, players had their minds on the game against Sunderland, and why wouldn't you? you know, you've got a big game coming up yeah, four days later. Injured, you? You know, does he really want to get in? He's just come back from one injury. Does he really want to get injured? Mm. Um, so you know, the, the Checker Trade Trophy has been a bit of a, a, a you know, washout for Argyle really. You know, they've lost the first two games. They can't qualify for the next stage. They've got an away game against Newport County next Tuesday, which the only thing that there is to play for for that, and I think probably for Newport as well, is the ten thousand pounds prize money yeah. you get for winning the game. That's the only thing at stake. It's, it's going to be a, you know, I, I wonder how small the crowd will be at, at a Rodney Parade for for a nothing game. Um, but no, I, I think Jamie was right. I think you know. Chelsea were very good, by the way. You yeah. know, Chelsea. I don't think anyone should take away the Chelsea under twenty ones were very good. They were quick. They got in Argyle's faces. They were up for the game. They had talented players. Um, Argyle didn't play well, but you know, Chelsea were, were good. But I do think that it does prove that if you're not fully up for a game, you you can come unstuck. And I do think that's mm. been an issue for Argyle. And um, I think everyone will be pleased once that Newport game's over with next Tuesday and uh, they don't have to worry about the competition again for the rest of the season. Absolutely. I mean, going back to what you're saying about attendances, mm. I just believe the only way they can raise... I mean, they're not going to increase that much because of what the competition is. No. But the only way to raise it slightly, I think, is, is to get rid of the under-21 teams and then you, you're doing away with the boycott as well. No, I mean, we see the, the, the social media reaction yeah. and stuff like that and I know there's an awful lot of people out there that, that, that you know, boycott the games, don't believe in attending the games and, and that's, that's you know, their prerogative and their choice and like I say, I, I, I don't like the format at all. I don't like under-21 teams being in, in, involved in it. You know, I've had conversations with people at Argyle and, 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 and other sort of people sort of connected with football and um, I say I just think it, this is a first step to Premier League yeah. teams the being in the FL now I'm told no it will ne- by, by various people no it will never happen it will never happen There's, there would have to be I think a 75% majority of EFL clubs would have to approve that and I'm told that's never going to happen but uh, money changes people's minds yeah. And if Premier, I still go back to this. I think if the Premier League clubs offered enough money, 
which would be a relative drop in the ocean for them, but would be a lot of money for League One and League Two teams. Mm. You know, would League One and League Two teams think, well, you know, perhaps it is, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll take it. I mean, it I mean be, if they're to bring in a fifth division as well, turn the conference yeah. into a fifth division, then yeah. perhaps that's going to persuade mm. some of those that are, yeah. you know, more reluctant to mm. agree to any change but because then, yeah. it gives them more of a chance of staying in the football league but then if you're in the national league and you've you've got a budget and you're working your way to try and get into the EFL and then suddenly that all the Premier League B teams are jetted into the national league yeah. and you get relegated down to a sixth division or something yeah where how's that exactly. fair absolutely they're not going to sit they're not going to sit down and take that take that for no you know so they're going to need some compensating as well if they're even going to agree to it so anyway it's a, yeah. it's a can of worms isn't it? absolutely well let's move away from that then um James Brent has officially stepped down as chairman now with uh, Simon Hallett taking over. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's an interesting one, James. He does get some criticism from yes. fans, but I think you've just got to give him so much credit for what he's done in his seven years at, at Home Park. You know, he's he rescued the club and he's got him in a really stable on a really stable footing now. Yeah, I mean, we could do a, a whole podcast. We could probably do a series of podcasts on this, yeah. couldn't we? Um, I think people. Um, are pretty entrenched in their positions about James Brent and, and what he did and what he didn't do and, and what have you. Um, I think the basic facts are that you know Argyle, when he rescued them out of administration, were in a pretty desperate state and there was no guarantee in October 2011 that one, the club would stay in the Football League and two, that the club would survive as a football club. And um, I had the opportunity recently to have a chat with him. Um, I've done a couple of articles already, there's a couple more to, to come to keep an eye open on them. And it was interesting, he said the first two years were hell. Mm. And he used the word hell, and that's a strong word to use, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And he said he wouldn't want to ever go through anything like that again because the, the, it took a lot more money than even he realised, I think, to, to keep the club going at that time. And then you see the club where it's at now. Yes, it's, it's in the League One relegation zone at the moment, but, you know, we'd be hopeful that Argyle will, you know, stay in League One this season. Um, the grandstand for all the trials and tribulations, and you can... We can all have opinions on why it's taken so long and whether this new grandstand is going to be good enough or what, what, however you want to look yeah. at it. But it is being done after lots of years of inactivity at Home Park. Um, every time you go up there now, it looks different. It, it, it's weird to see the grandstand almost looking almost like a shell of yeah, what it was. Um, it so if you look at where we were in October 2011 and look at where we are now in November 2018, a lot of progress has been made. Could more progress have been made? Yes, of course it could. But um, I think generally, most most Argyle fans will say that under James Brent's stewardship, the club's made a lot of progress. Yeah. And certainly the infrastructure as well. I remember speaking to James before, and he said about the investment on training pitches. And yeah, which is like which well. is what people don't see, exactly, you know, like yeah. that, and stuff like that. And you know, people say, well, why is the money not being spent on players and this, that, and the other? But you know, a football club is an infrastructure. You know, yeah. you have to spend money on the ground. You have to spend money on the pitch. You have to spend money on the training ground. You know, and that's the office for the players, isn't yeah. it? That's their office. Yeah. It's important to it keep is. that. There's more staff being in, being employed, and both as part of Derek Adams' backroom staff, but with uh, with the grandstand about to open, and, and or not about to open, but in, you know, in the next year, you know, there's going to be more opportunities for for staff. So the club is evolving, and um, no, I, I, like I say, I think. I think most fans would say, you know, James Brent's done a, been a very good steward of the club for the seven years. Um, Simon Hallett now takes over. I mean, he's only going to be Argyle's fifth chairman in 26 years, which 
you know, isn't isn't many, isn't it? You know, football no. managers come and go. You know, yeah. uh, it seems quite a lot. But uh, twenty six managers in five years. Absolutely. <laughs> but since nineteen ninety two, we've had Dan McCauley, Paul Stapleton, uh, Sir Roy Gardner, and James Brent, and now Simon Hallett takes over. So um, interesting as well, of course, that um, with James Brent, he's staying on the board um, after stepping down as chairman, and his um, oldest daughter, twenty two year old Natasha, has joined the board as well. Yeah. It was it was at James Brent's request, um, so um, I'm not sure that uh, um, that N- Natasha is um, as she's worked at the club, uh, but I think the idea behind it is that that James Brent is is busy. He's got different um, responsibilities at uh, the Exeter uh, World Devon and Exeter Hospital, and I think Natasha will be um, sort of eyes and ears for him at all time in stuff that's going on. On Argyle, a little bit like John Morgan is uh, for, for Simon Hallett. John Morgan is on the Argyle board. He's Simon Hallett's brother-in-law. Obviously, Simon is based in America, so uh, John Morgan's uh, uh, sort of a bit of eyes ears for him, as, as Natasha Brent will be for for her dad. So um, the Argyle board um, now has Simon Hallett as the chairman, and then eight directors. So um, you know, quite a quite a sizable. Uh, boardroom and um, we'll see how they work going forward there's definitely uh, yeah. <clears throat> plenty for uh, Simon Hallett to uh, to deal with now he's taken over as chairman absolutely so I'm uh, moving away from the boardroom then yes. and finally back to football yep uh, the FA Cup now that's a competition we do like it'd be great to have a cup run wouldn't it it would it yeah, would everyone, be nice to have yeah a everyone likes a good cup run I mean the Liverpool tie was fantastic you know you, you feel as though you've been a bit greedy asking for something else like that but <laughs> what the hell you know yeah. if we could get into the third round and have a have a nice juicy tie we'd all enjoy that wouldn't we sort of thing so Stevenage at home on Saturday there uh, not doing too badly in League 2 um, yeah, decent side decent side um, you would like to think that Argyle will um, will be able to win that game um, I can't see any reason why Derek Adams wouldn't play a full strength team uh, you would think that you know that you know just thinking off the top of my head the team that played against Sunderland played pretty well I wouldn't be I can't really think why you'd want to mm-hmm. change that team put that team out again play with the same intensity um, and the same you know um, intention to go forward hopefully put Stevenage on the back foot hopefully get hopefully get the win get in the second round and then you're one game away yeah, from absolutely. you know who knows what so uh, well, it's in Derek Adams best interest to play a strong side as well because the financial rewards are yeah. so much greater now you know the prize pot has been doubled this yeah, year I was going to say that's right well, so, do you know what the figure is I think it's about 38,000 yeah somebody something mentioned that to me the other day that the prize pot's it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a good sum of money absolutely. we will check it and put it in pieces we do as we yeah. go on through the week but yeah, well, I can't be guaranteed on, on that, but no, I'm pretty sure it's, it is around it's, that. It's worth point. winning. That game Absolutely, is worth winning. Yeah. And then it gets you into the next round, and then who knows what happens there. And uh, So, no, I mean, I, I obviously haven't asked uh, Derek Adams about his thoughts on the on the game next Saturday, but I'd be very surprised if he didn't play the team that played against mm-hmm. Sunderland, to be honest. They, they yeah. played well. Um, put that team out again, same sort of performance, get the win, keep the sort of little bit of momentum that Argyle have built up going um, before um, before they return to league action absolutely it gets January and if they're still in the cup then he mm. could get an increase to any potential transfer well that, you know that's so. you know you, that's a good point isn't it you know if you, you get drawn against one of the big boys then yeah. we know from the Liverpool tie that makes a lot of money um, and I think a lot of the Liverpool money you know was used on training rounds and infrastructure and things like that 
you know, maybe there would be a case, you know, if they did have another opportunity like that, that, yeah. uh, that Derek Adams might be able to use a little bit of that to, to, to strengthen I remember speaking to Darren Way, actually, um, last season sometime, and he yeah. said that when they had their FA Cup run and mm. played Man United mm. in round four, it mm. enabled him to basically tie down some players on bigger contracts and bring three or four in. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, to a, a League One, League Two club, it's, it's, it means so much, doesn't it? So anyone who tells you FA Cup isn't important, we don't agree, do we? No. No, no. So it only seems to be the Premier League clubs. Yes. Like that. That's yeah. 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 Okay, well, Chris, thanks ever so much for joining me on the podcast. No problem at all, Steve. Good Always to catch up. Indeed. Mm. And uh, we'll be back again, if everyone's here, that is. Yeah, no, we'll be back next week. Indeed. Good more of the same. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. We are always happy to hear from you, and if you have any questions for our panel, please tweet them to our Twitter account, at HeraldPAFC, or visit our Facebook page, Plymouth Argyle The Herald. Thanks for listening.